Defining Connection Economy Radio. This is Tribe FM. All right, so here we are. Number six, halfway through our Power of Free series. Last week, we chatted a little bit about natural SEO and the language that's used to achieve it. Today, we're going right back to the beginning. And you're going to tell me a little bit about the importance of actually telling your story. Indeed, Mr. Black, it's good to be here with you again. And, um, you know, in 2015, when I did the original recording of uh, Telling Your Story, it was literally me just telling my story. And uh, the origins of the decision for me to tell my story sort of came from quite a bit of reading that I'd been doing in the years prior that just talked about the importance of telling your story. But I didn't, I didn't fundamentally understand why it was that important. But I, but, I, but, I, but I had a sense that it was going to be really important. And, and anyway... Sources that I trusted were telling me that, that, that it should form an integral part I was all about. So I adopted it. So in 2015, I stood up in the in the paperclip and told my story for an hour. Now, since then, of course, it's absolutely served its purpose for me to be able to impart what I'm all about to those people that come to um, my websites and are interested in what I have to say and thinking about having a commercial relationship with me. But I've also in the last 12 months or so. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me put it this way. Since the riots started in Hong Kong um, in summer of 2019, um, when the riots occurred, I was uh, confounded for about a month or so. I couldn't understand how we had gone from what had been a kind of a, a political fray, in a sense, that was just the typical Hong Kong humdrum thing, really. Uh, reasonable heads generally prevail and nothing ever gets out of hand. And we went from sort of a, 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 an understandable experience to something that was completely beyond the pale, and I couldn't understand why. And when Trump got elected, I th and this fake news phenomenon emerged for the first time, I subscribed immediately to the Washington Post, The Guardian, and the New York Times, because I wanted to have a decent source of, well, news that I could make informed decisions on. Lo and behold, Jason, within that first month, two months of the riots in Hong Kong, and I'm consuming all the content on from these organs, and I'm I'm realizing actually a minute, actually actually hang on a minute, what these what these organs are reporting bear no semblance to the reality of what's actually going on on the ground here. I you know I'm here. I know what's going on. These guys don't. So the journalists that are covering it, they're doing it with an agenda. So apart from the fact that I cancelled all my subscriptions, it immediately made me suspicious of mainstream media. Now, I also came to understand down the years that. If you have a presence on the internet that contains information about a particular subject matter that nobody else is trying to match, then in the final analysis, when you become an acknowledged expert and the go-to place for the source of that information, then the, the bias of no comparison creeps in your favor 
And given that in Hong Kong immigration, the only other website of any note whatsoever is the Hong Kong Immigration Department's website, and given that the immigration's mandate is to inform and decide not to advise, I knew, given that my website was there to advise, I, I knew that there was no counterweight ever going to emerge to the messaging that I was putting out there. Mm. And, it, you know, it didn't take me long to conclude that, you know, if everybody's listening to me, I could paint any kind of picture that I wanted that was going to subtly progress my commercial ends like. You know, I could have a focused effort for three months on telling my community, you know, just how hard it was getting to get visas approved at the immigration department. Now, the immigration department is never going to come back and rebut any of that. And there's nobody else out there that's dealing with the immigration department in the way that we do for them to be able to glean as to what I'm saying is true or not. Uh, and even if they did, do they have the reach to the community in the way that I've got so that I can be, you know, count, contradicted, if you will, you know, with sort of a semblance of truth or no. So, so I realized, goodness gracious me, if I want to if I want to engineer a crisis saying how hard it is to get your visa approved and therefore I'm having to you know, that's going to justify me increasing my fees by 50 percent. That was a tactic that was completely within within my reach. I never deployed anything like that because in the connection economy, you've got to be ethical. It's about building relationships of trust and, and being authentic and all the rest of that good stuff. So I would never dream of doing anything like that. But I knew, I knew that if I was that kind of actor, that was within my reach. Mm. So, you know, when I understood the mainstream media agenda and I understood the actual phenomenon that if you control an audience or the material audience, you can say whatever you want and the bias of no comparison will always deliver in your favor. It then begs the question, how the hell do you make sense of the world, Jason? Hmm. And so because you can't make sense of the world, really, what you've got to do is try your hardest as a consumer of of, let's say, content on the web as a precursor to solving a problem. You've got to try and make proper sense of, 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 of who this other party is and what they're all about. And an integral part of that is to tell your personal story because people need to have uh, a means of trusting the, the, you know, the author of the material that they're investing their intellect in and their attention into and ultimately the, other, the solution that they need to bring about as a result of you having done what you've done on the web. So telling your story now is more important than I think it's ever been, particularly for expert know-how service professionals, because we all know that LinkedIn is really good because you can single click and you get to see what somebody's background is and what people are saying about them. And it kind of gives you a, a sense professionally of as to what these people are all about. Well, telling your own story on your website is a supercharged version of that. Not only is it a question of telling your own personal story, but it also should also tell your business story as well. Mm. Everybody wants to know kind of like germane things to the challenge that they've got in their life so they can make informed decisions about dealing with you as a potential solution to that problem. And what a great way to forge a relationship by not only telling your personal story on the one hand, but telling your business story on the other. And with intelligent content marketing, one of the foundations is to use the storytelling dimension of your plans to convert from an industrial economy way of operating to a connection economy way of operating um, and, and, and sharing with everybody the journey along the way. And that those acts of transparency reveals your vulnerability and also gives those people that want to, want to deal with you uh, the solid confidence to know that you're kind of not full of shit and you're worthy of having a relationship with. Mm. 
And do you think your story is applicable only in a business sense and in, in, in how it relates to the services that you offer? Well, it's all an integrated narrative. Okay. In the final analysis, right, um, you have, uh, you've been able to command the attention of someone who's got a problem. If you put yourself in the shoes of the person whose attention you've commanded, you can then ask yourself, well, what do these guys really need to know about me, know about the business and know about the problem that they have to be able to come to a conclusion, the conclusion that, you know, if they're ready to pay for help, you're the guy to that they should be paying. Okay, so how would you say telling your story is balanced with social proof? Because if I, if I look at when I'm going to make a decision to do something, it's quite important to me what other people think. And I think that's how platforms like Airbnb, etc. survive. Because it's obviously social proof and it's, you know, people rating other people and you, you, you want a global perspective on what the, what the proposition is and how close it is to the truth. Well, I think the two sides are the same coin in the final analysis, right? Um, everybody wants to have social proof because it allows them to take shortcuts to making decisions in what can be, you know, an over-communicated and a very complex world, right? Mm. If you look to see what somebody else has had dealings with, 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 with the party that you're probably going to have dealings with and that they've come, come through it unscathed and might even, you know, generously be saying good things about it. Well, that's really helpful. Mm. By the same token, you know, uh, you can't control what your customers are going to say about you to the to the extent that you're able to finagle testimonials and you know real life social proof because of these relationships um and how they evolve in your life one at a time then all to the good we've got about we've got about 100 testimony customers customer testimonials on our website now so that that is, is, is quite properly addressed but on the other hand you see video storytelling you can control that so, you know, if nothing else, until such a time as you're able to come up with uh, a whole library of um, social proof uh, snippets and the testimonials and the like, uh, you can achieve exactly the same outcome just by doing a talk to camera piece and letting people know kind of, you know, what your business is all about, uh, what you've been working on, what's important to you, where you're going with it, where you came from why you're doing this in the way that you are, what your objectives are to, um, you know, in terms of creating relationships in this fashion and so on and so forth. That, 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 that's completely within your control. You don't have to allow anybody else to, you know, take advantage or harness that particular dynamic. I think one of the things about the internet and when you do go onto platforms and purchase things, it is quite impersonal. I suppose having your story on there, and especially if you're doing it as a piece to camera, it does bring a human face to that. That obviously poses challenges to people who are shy and who want a business just to be a business uh, without a face behind that business. Well, fair comment. Now, my response to that is... <sighs> That's if your you response? Make an omelet, you gotta, if you want to make an omelet, you've got to crack some eggs. Sure. And the industrial economy created plenty of opportunities for those people who perhaps didn't have a natural predilection to, you know, putting their head above the parapet mm -hmm. or don't have the confidence to speak to a camera or indeed an audio file. It doesn't have to be a camera in actual fact. You can achieve these outcomes, you know, in a number of different content ways. Mm. 
so the industrial economy, in a sense, downplayed the significance or importance of those those things, those dynamics. The connection economy, with all the um, all businesses going to be inevitably based on the web, then and storytelling and allowing people to make sense being an integral part of um, actually being successful in committing in, in, in creating the relationships that you know you you're, you're trying to create. If 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 you're not giving the counterparties the opportunity to address the need for them to make sense in one way or another and doing it efficiently then you're operating at a at a less than sort of optimum approach in the connection economy now that's not to suggest that people who are a bit shy about doing this stuff can't use intelligent content marketing no, no doubt they'll be creative enough to find alternate ways to address that issue mm. but it just seems to me that if you've got this problem and that's one of um, transparency over to over what's going on in your business and, and who you are personally you can you can address that just by putting in front sitting in front of a camera or sitting with your iPhone and talking to the voice recorder um, and saying something that, that helps achieve that pop it on the website it's done if you're not prepared to do that because you're shy well perhaps the connection economy is not for you actually but it's inevitable that these things are going to become an integral part of of the uh, of the content experience, particularly in 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 a commercial scenario where even in the industrial economy, you would want to at least forge a relationship and get a, a status of trust between the party that you were going to you know commit to help you solve your problem. Right. Um, you might be able to do it offline one to one, but if you're going to be based on the web um, at scale, you're going to have to find some way to be able to emulate that. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask you to give me an example, and we're going to go back to Chad Bush the Third, tax farmer extraordinaire, right? So, Chad, our tax accountant, used to work for Big Barn Enterprises accounting firm. COVID came along, he lost his job, all right? He now needs to use intelligent content marketing and take his proposition to the world. How would you suggest that he starts that off and what part of his story should he start working on? Right. So three, 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 three streams of activity. First stream of activity is the top 100 question, everything that flows from that to produce utility content. Mm. The second stream of activity is you basically telling your story since the day you graduated from university, what you've learned, how you got into the profession that you're in, why you like it, what you dislike about it. Um, typical circumstances that present themselves that, you know, are kind of like client, client relationship interactions that will give, you know, the opportunity to educate your audience as to things to anticipate, avoid, or should be encouraged in order to promote efficiency when you're dealing with, with a tax expert in rural and farming matters. So there's all that stream of activity. And then your third stream of activity is, well, you know, I used to work for 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 that Chad Barn uh, taxation agents, and I learned a lot in mm. that environment. But I've also come to understand that the world has changed, and that that industrial economy way of of operating isn't going to be as relevant five, ten, fifteen years from now. Mm. And so I'm a man of the future. So I've come to understand that you need to do things differently. And so I've adopted the power of free specifically, and I'm slowly, slowly learning all the tips and tricks and the ideas inherent in intelligent content marketing. And I'm applying them one by one by one, and I'm learning as I go. And my intention is to emulate 
you know, array of other guys that are in professional services that have proven that this stuff works and this is why it works and this is why I'm doing it. That's that's a pretty compelling, you know, story plot there that says a lot about what you're all about that, mm. you know, your punters can learn from. Okay, so if we if we talk about the punters and we, we use Chad as our example, his, his client base are going to be farmers who are looking for a tax solution and to have their books managed. Should he craft those videos and tell his story in the same way using natural language to talk to that specific audience? Well, it depends how creative you are. If you're if if you've got natural creativity and what you're all about, most tax experts, by the way, don't have an ounce of creativity, but you know, plug that for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're if you're if you're a creative type, naturally if you're thinking about the top one hundred questions that you're you're going to answer and the way that you're going to answer those through a content proposition, if you're a creative type, you may take every opportunity to um add elements of your story into that content proposition mm. just by denoting anecdotes that you've you know come across down the years gotcha so that's one one way to approach another way to approach it is just you know to anticipate that um you've got those three three core streams of activity and you, you'll you'll spend as much time as you need to spend on each of those you know those core activities depending on where your predilections lie if you're a tax expert i suspect you're probably going to be you know really keen to get down in the in the weeds with your top 100 questions and sort of downplay the fact that you're, you've taken this intelligent content marketing business model and that you know you're having to reveal a little bit more about yourself than you might previously have wanted to. It's not to say that when you're revealing your personal story, you have to lift up your skirt and show them everything. Mm. But you know you've got enough the kind of things that naturally come to pass if you're going to end up having a relationship of trust with with anybody. Uh, you will reveal, you know, what's appropriate to those people uh, without seeking to hide anything, so that they can come to the, the right kind of conclusion about what you're like as, a, as an individual. So, uh, and that's that's really the personal story part. So, so in essence, what you're doing with your with your personal story is uh, portraying your integrity and your expertise in a in a one-to-one fashion. And you're showing your vulnerability as well. So it's part and parcel of my storytelling history that happens to be on video because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a what does my wife call me? I'm a circus master, ringmaster. <laughs> uh, you were a ringmaster when you got on your knee and proposed, good sir. Well, I got, I, I was offered an opportunity to go and deliver an 18 minute talk uh, a few years ago. Uh, from an organization, a self-organized organization with groups around the world, but it, it was called, basically, my, my conversation, my talk was about how I fucked up. And so I spent 16 minutes talking to a gathered audience, and we shot it all, where I laid out, you know, the history of my calamity, mm. self-induced, mm. um, between 2000 and 2010. Um, and so I set that all out for everyone to see, and uh, and I'd say probably... Oh, 10 times a year, I'll get a, uh, I'll get a comment from somebody we've got a relationship with a client or whatever, or a prospect and they'll say, Oh, I really want, I watched that video and it was really, you know, kind of put, you're putting yourself out there and uh, it was really insightful to, you know, learn what you're all about. So clearly, you know, if you're going to show your vulnerabilities, that's part and parcel of sense making as well. Cause mm. you know, we've all been encouraged to, to, to adopt a stiff upper list and stick your chest out and all the rest of that good stuff. Take mm. it on the chin, baby. 
But the reality is, you know, we all we, we we've all suffered, and um, we've all got our vulnerabilities, and uh, and there's nothing wrong in sharing those with people. If it helps them make sense of what you're all about, then it's a positive thing, right? You can harness it for good end, to good end. All right, excellent. And what will we be chatting about next time, sir? Where are we? So we're up to six, aren't we? So six in the can. Yes, we're going to talk about disruption. Okay. Disruption, disruption, disruption. Now, the thing is about disruption uh, five years ago is that I was able, on the one hand, to be able to demonstrate how we disrupted Hong Kong immigration. But but that was five years ago. We're onto a completely new uh, playing field now in terms of the disruptive impact that we've had in the last five years. Mm. What's been really uh, interesting for me to share, and I'll, I'll close on this because I don't want, I want to keep my powder dry for next week. But since, um, well, the riots were an, a real negative on Hong Kong immigration because nobody wants to come when there's violence on the streets, right? Mm. That cleared up at the turn of the year. And then we had COVID upon us. Now, COVID on the one hand was a blessing in a disguise. It was from an immigration perspective. It was a blessing because we uh, the borders closed and we were able to reconfigure our service array from a kind of open border set of services to a new set of services predicated on the borders being closed. And like it's kind of like just gave us a whole new revenue, set of revenue streams. So that even though the market shrunk by 50% in that time, we were able, because of what we do, to um, to be able to, to, to sort of carry on. Um, the other side of that is that because the market has shrunk by 50%, a lot of our competitors have all fallen away. And I've had a look at some of our smaller competitor websites, and they've all had to start offering services that are not core immigration. Mm. And uh, that tells me that our free proposition has taken away the potential relationships that those guys would have had. And our pay proposition is now pipping all of these guys because we're getting these relationships ahead of them. Because what's happening now is that people are searching, they're going electronic to find a solution to the immigration problem. It used to be pre-COVID when, you know, the foreign national community was, you know, fully entrenched here. Most of the referrals for new new business will come from word of mouth, you know, country weekend, barbecue, I've got this problem, do you know anybody type of scenario. Sure. Now people are going electronic to find a solution to the problem. The moment that they go electronic, then they find us and we've won. Mm. Consequently, my inbox is absolutely swamped every single day with people that are that are uh, asking us questions. Once upon a time, we'd have five or six questions a day. I'm getting 15 to 20 questions a day now. Wow. So every single question that comes in is a relationship that we can win, paid or unpaid, ahead of our competitors. Mm. So what? And also our, our instructions, whilst the service mix has changed, has become... Um, it's, it's allowed the continuing word of mouth referral sort of dynamics to be maintained uh, in a limited way, given that the market is 50% smaller. But Jason, when it starts to grow again, as the market inevitably does, and the, particularly when the board is open, and we don't have visibility when the borders are going to open, we're going to be growing from 
um, uh, a smaller base, but with a much bigger market share. And less competition. And so that really bodes well for us for the future, yeah. So, so yeah, so, so disruption. Um, the disruptive activities since 2015 have really accelerated since COVID specifically. And, uh, and we will be a much bigger business once the COVID scenario is settled. And that is as a result of the disruptive activities that we embarked on. Well, 10 years ago, we were crystallizing the power of free in 2015. And I don't think there are too many businesses that can say COVID made us bigger. No, no. And, and final point before we, 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 we shut up shop. Uh, it's been perfect for us. Terrible to say, but... For intelligent content marketing, right time, right place, uh, right team, actually. 10 years of proving the business model at a time when a very large percentage of, of, of other professional expert know-how service experts are, are going to need to find a new way to monetize their expertise. So we've come along with a product that's 100% free and allows them to you know, grasp the opportunities to build monopolies and thrive and prosper. I don't think there's another another way that you could actually really stress test a business, is there? No, um, and I'm not a uh, I'm not a genius, notwithstanding the noises that I make in that general direction. But it it is validating to know that uh, not only does this stuff work, but it's just prime time ready to be adopted. And you know, our mission now is to get the idea to spread. And that we will do, good sir. We shall catch up in the next episode. Number seven, it will be...